0: All right. You ready? Yep. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode. Another episode of Strange and Beautiful Book Club, Deep Cuts.
1: Dune Edition.
0: be able to use the effects and then not giggle afterwards but today is not that day well welcome back friends i'm a little sultry i haven't been sultry in a while but it's seasonal allergy and cold season so here we are we do have quite a few things going on just want to throw it out there um we've got a merch store we've got actually this is going to be our um deep cut so Let's talk about that on the regular Strange and Beautiful Book Club.
1: Yeah, this one's just, this one's going to be out of time.
0: Yeah. So we just talked about Jodorowsky's Dune, which was a wild wi- wild ride. And then we hopped off that train and took some LSD and then hopped on another train. And that we're going to call Dune 1984.
1: David Lynch edition. David
0: Lynch edition. Actually, we watched the Alan Smithy cut (laughs) because David Lynch hates this movie so deeply. He refuses to be involved in any of the cuts, any of the... Right. The theatrical
1: release has his name on it. Yeah. But then when they did the extended edition...
0: He was like, fuck that shit. Take my name off of it. He even took his name off as a writer. Nothing. He took his wow. name off it completely. Yeah, he was like, Alan Smith, he directed it. Somebody else, I, I don't want to be on it. Don't associate this with me at all. And, I mean, fair. I've watched this movie a lot. I've probably watched the Alan Smithy cut more than I've watched the regular cut. Because, like, a lot of times on sci-fi, this is the cut that would be shown.
1: Yeah, and watching it this time, I didn't recognize any scenes as, like... Wait, I haven't seen this scene before. So I think probably most of the times that I've watched the 1984 Dune has been the extended version. Yeah.
0: And this has the grandmother, what do they call it, the great grandmother of a storm. This is the great grandmother of all exposition dumps at the beginning. <laughs> like you thought text scroll was bad? You thought voiceover montage? You thought voiceover montage was bad? Oh. How
1: about camera panning over a matte painting and zooming in?
0: (laughs) For like a full 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, of like, okay, so we used to have computers, and then we had this jihad, and then now we don't have computers, or we don't have computers that can perform the work of a man or woman. And we also made Capital these, M, man. Yeah, and then we made these schools, and of these schools only two survive, and those are the Bene Gesserit and the Mentats, although we don't well, really talk about the Mentats.
1: Although, in the, when we talked about the book, I said the two schools were Mentats and Bene Gesserit. but then, on retrospect, I was like, oh wait, no, the two schools are actually the Spacing Guild and the Bene Gesserit. Yeah. And they're the two schools that do, like, mental training along with, like, heavy spice consumption. And I guess the Mentats do too, but the Mentats aren't... And the Mentat training is distinct from the Spacing Guild and uh, the Bene Gesserit. But I think it's more the... The two schools are kind of singled out because it's a specific kind of it's more of a metaphysical training. And the spacing guild is focused on the like the more masculine aspect of expanding your outward awareness. Right. And then the Benedestra is expanding your inward awareness. It's
0: what I usually say when you're talking about like woman and male, like female and male self improvement. Mm-hmm. Men think of self-improvement as external. Women think of self-improvement as internal. And that's very much here. Right. Where the female school has expanded their inward sight, their ability to completely manipulate their own bodies to, you know,
1: well, even, all internal. even like ancestral memory. Yeah. and then And then the spacing guild is all external. Yeah. awareness and future manipulation sight. of yeah. space and time and seeing into the future and so the Bene Gesserit have some abilities almost supernatural abilities related to their inner sight right and the spacing guild has some somewhat supernatural abilities in that they can literally fold space right and they can see into the future and yeah. make predictions
0: yeah yeah so after our mother of all exposition dumps, we drop immediately into seeing the emperor in his like golden chamber. And I find it interesting because in Dune, the book, nobody ever sees a spacing guild like Navigator. Right. And we don't even get a, any kind of a description until we see them in Dune, Messiah. Right. So every adaptation of Dune had to just make this shit up. And so I like to think that the guy that invented this navigator was stumped, couldn't think of anything, decided to masturbate about it, and then when he got done, he was like, "Balls, perfect! I'll, I'll make him look like a giant testicle." Oh my god, why <laughs> didn't I think about that before? Oh, and how is he going to? Oh, how's he going to fold space? What's that going to look like? Oh oh, 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 oh oh, I fucking got it. <laughs> Ejaculation, inspiration. <laughs> inspiration, just seemed to ejaculate from his <laughs> from his psyche. He was like, "Yes, I've got it. It's perfect." And by the time they got all the way through to making it, and it it showed up in the black tank, and it floats out of the orange gas. Everyone's like, "Well, we're in too deep. We're in balls deep." Someone might say, "And we cannot."
1: We've invested too much in these effects. We can't. We can't roll this back. We can't roll this back.
0: With the tiny little hands. That's the freakiest part. <laughs> it's not just a giant testicle. Well, and the mouth.
1: Yeah, the, weird the, the mouth little part.
0: mouth with like gas coming out of it. And then it's got the weird little hands.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know. This is definitely one of those. I feel like in the 80s, especially, we were coming off the wave of Star Wars. Because this releases the year after Return of the Jedi. And everyone was like, well, there's this new thing on the street. It's called sci-fi. What are we going to do with it? I mean, we've had it before. We had some, you know, we had like the Black Hole. We had um, Dark Star. I was going to mention Dark Star. (laughs) We had some really, uh, we had, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey. But in terms of like sci-fi as something other than spectacle, as a place to tell epic stories. We're, we're really on the cusp of that, because we had Star Trek. Star Trek tried to have Star Trek the movie 1, which is very much like 2001 A Space Odyssey, in which there's a lot of really thoughtful scenes. It's not really fast. It doesn't move. Um, and so we're really finding our feet, finding the formula, finding what works. And we get to Dune, and Dune is a massive undertaking to adapt and they were kind of like well we could adapt the novel or we could just we could adapt the spirit of the novel let's do that let's do that so we make the benegesser more like witches um yes mystical mm-hmm. beings we kind of we kind of obfuscate the fact that the reason they have these abilities is because they have so completely studied their bodies and make it more like, well, they're a Bene Gesserit. They just take a bunch of spice and then they can do shit. I don't know what to tell you. And then they make the Mentats. uh, Does the spice make your eyebrows grow? Is that what you think (laughs) so hard it just pushes the hair out? If a man consumes
1: a lot of spice, it makes their eyebrows grow. Yeah, okay. If a woman consumes a lot of spice, it makes all of her hair fall out.
0: Oh, there you go. There
1: you go. Mentats and Bene <laughs> And then if you take even more, you turn into a testicle.
0: Yeah, I feel like somebody got a hold of Jodorowsky's Dune and they were like, <laughs> okay, okay. So we need to, what, we're, what we need to do is make them look alien. Because I would argue that like the Spacing Guild is a very um, geeker. I'm very geeky at like oh, the yeah. people in the long black leather, the weird translators, mm-hmm. the ooze, the slime, the like.
1: Wait, why? Goo why does the tank leave slime behind
0: everywhere? <laughs> They're like leaking it too. Like it's coming out of their faces and stuff.
1: Although I, I think this movie, a death. So the book is written in like third person. Um.
0: Omniscient. Omniscient. Yeah.
1: And so you get internal monologues from like almost every character that's present in any scene. And those are a big part of the way the book tells the story. Yeah. And this movie did a good job of adapting how the internal monologue contributed to the narrative. But in a film version, yeah, where everything is like almost whisper, like sotto voce, um, quiet, like monotone voiceover. Yeah. And I guess that's representative of how people's internal voice sounds. If you if you have an internal like narrator <laughs> in your head, that's how it would which sound. Some people don't.
0: I don't. I believe you. And I recognize this as a mechanism that we use a lot in books because yeah. it's helpful for the reader to get... I mean, that's the point of third-person omniscient is you can get everyone's internal view of what's happening. Yeah, And you don't get... You can't... There's Without no, them
1: having to say it out loud.
0: There's no way to organically show that unless you go full Spider-Man um, across the multi... The one with... Um, the animated one with yeah. Miles Morales, mm-hmm. where we literally did it comic style so you could have a thought bubble. Yeah. Unless you do that, there's no way to convey it without doing this voiceover. And I think it's good. I don't think it's overdone.
1: Right. Like, there, was the voiceover in, there was the voiceover in Blade Runner, Yeah, which was not that great. Right. it. D- I think partly it just didn't mesh with how they were telling the story. Otherwise, was an afterthought. It was an afterthought. Yeah. Um. But here, it was planned from the beginning, and I think, I think it's mostly a just audio quality thing. Like they planned how to how the voices should sound as the internal monologue, distinct from how the character talks just yeah. out loud.
0: Well, we get a lot of of the the actors just standing there thinking. Yes. So it feels planned because we're not putting it over them doing something else. We're putting it over them just like staring.
1: Right. Like we even see them just they're just kind of staring off into the distance. And as their internal monologue is going, they're kind of changing their facial expressions or looking at different things. And so it it was absolutely planned ahead of time and it was executed well. That is one thing I like about this movie is how yeah. well the internal monologues were represented. I don't re- think this is a
0: bad movie. I think it's a fine movie. I enjoyed yeah. this movie a lot when I was younger. Oh, yeah. It took us quite a few sit downs to get through this, this time around. Just because it's... We don't have three hours. Like, three I don't hours have three long. hours together to just sit and watch a movie. Um, but I do, I think it's fine. As an adaptation for what it is, I think it's good. I don't know why the special effects are so bad. I mean we're cu- literally the year before this return of the Jedi came out and look what they were able to do with with spaceships
1: even a new hope uh which was 70 what
0: 80 Oh no, new hope is 77.
1: 77. Yeah. So 7 years before this they had a new hope. Yeah. Which the spaceships in A New Hope were way better than the spaceship special effects. You know in what I would Dune. love?
0: I would love like a mashup of Dune mm-hmm. and Jupiter Ascending. You know how in Jupiter Ascending they've had space age technology yeah. so long, it's become um, like a spectacle. They're right. like floating it, castles that right. we, we've dispensed with the flash, the flashing buttons, and the you know, kind of the traditional it's a ship and made it more like it is a, it is a work of art. It is a piece of craftsmanship.
1: Right. The technology is just another piece of, yeah, another cut piece of wood that you put into the thing you're building.
0: Right. Yeah. That's what I think we should have had because we've had space travel for, you know, 10,000 years. It is the year 10,191. Earth is a distant 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 memory. It is legendary, mythical. Earth is mythical. There's no reason for us to cling to the same way that we would we would envision a spaceship now. But right. you know, this is not well, we we really we we saved our creativity for other parts of this. <laughs> <laughs> because they had to convey the weirding way. Right? They had to convey the the mashup of mysticism and technology that is the Bene Gesserit weirding way. And so they were like, okay, well, we don't trust our audiences to be able to figure this out. So let's make it a gun. Let's just make yeah, it a projectile we'll just turn weapon. it into a gun. We'll just turn it into and a gun. that's the fine.
1: weirding way. Yeah. And it's called the weirding module.
0: Right. The weirding module, exactly. And they'll use it to shoot weirding bolts at things. <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> what what does Paul say? Um every thought. thought has a sound. Some
0: thoughts have a sound.
1: And that sound representative of a form. Yeah. Uh okay.
0: So om cha sounds like a bullet, looks like a bullet, and you can <laughs> shoot it. So let's just do that. And also Muadib, because my name is a killing word. <laughs> um Patrick Stewart is stellar. Let's just get that as out always. Of it. As always, I think Patrick, yes. you could put Patrick Stewart in anything and I'd be like, "Well, I'm here for this." I'm here for this. I don't know about the mullet in the second act. That was a choice.
1: Th- that was absolutely a choice is it that somebody still, made.
0: Is it still a mullet if
1: <laughs> if you're bald
0: on, on top? If it's bald in the front, long in the back. That has to have a special name, right? It can't just be a mullet.
1: Mm, an elder mullet. An
0: elder, like an elder millennial, but an elder mullet. I like it. <laughs> and then this is actually Kyle McLaughlin's um, first movie. This oh. is his debut. He'd nice. never been in anything else ever.
1: So they were getting an unknown for the movie. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Yes, they were. And Dean Stockwell asked to be in the movie. Dean Stockwell plays Dr. Yui. And he asked to be in the movie because he was a big fan of the book. Which I think is interesting. And a lot of the characters that are in this died of cancer. Like
1: Um, it's probably the Burning it's probably Tires. The Burning
0: Tires. Richard Jordan died of like a brain tumor. Um I'm trying to think. Some other actors that are in this did as well. And then Jose Ferrer, who plays Shaddam the Fourth, he's actually the dad of Miguel Ferrer. Who played mm-hmm. in RoboCop. You yep. know, um, Bob. Mm-hmm. Is it Bob Morton?
1: Yeah, whatever the, in the, I think it's Bob the old RoboCop. Um, yeah. He also played the, in like, the stand, like
0: the 1990s stand television show, which is what I always remember him from. <laughs> him, and, um, him and Gary Sinise.
1: <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, we have some, you know, we have some 80s faces. Like people that in the 80s you would have been like, oh, her. Oh, him. Because Chani also plays in Blade Runner. She's Rachel Mm -hmm. from Blade Runner. Although she's far better as Rachel than she is as Chani. I really just think that she got no direction. They were just like, be hot. Kiss him. Like, make out passionately. You can do this. And she was like...
1: That's what your character's there for.
0: Okay, I guess. Because her lines are all very wooden. It's like, tell me of the waters of your homeland, Muwadib. Or Usul. She says Usul. Tell me of the waters of your homeland, Usul.
1: Except... The line that she actually says in the movie is, tell me of your homeworld, Usul.
0: Yeah. It's
1: like, come on, there's there's a line, there's repetition there in the book for a reason.
0: You have one job, like one job. Just use this one line so we know this is all from Dune and you're good to go, right? Although I love the opening when they're like, Dune, Arrakis, desert planet. And it's literally just like they gave a guy a camera and had him go out and film the sand. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: just, <laughs> i know just like go six get, inches above the sand just
0: go get sand shots man so we know that this is a desert okay and we do repeat the dune arrakis desert planet a, a sufficient number of times yeah. uh, uh, okay great I, I get it and the worms are dicks we all i mean clearly oh, yeah. the Absolutely. same guy who invented the 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 spacing guild navigator invented the worms
1: it was the same special effects guy
0: I wanna know who had the worm on a stick that had to just keep shoving it, it into sand. Pushing it through for the sands so yeah. the
1: face could break out.
0: Ba, 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 ba. Yeah. That part where they're like and then the like lightning, the static lightning. Oh, oh. yeah, and it's got Jurgen Prock now, who was mm-hmm. actually a voice on the World War Z um graphic audiobook.
1: And in um was the one with Freddie Prince Jr. He
0: is not in Wing Commander.
1: He's not. I thought no. Jurgen Prochnow was the second no. in command on the ship.
0: I don't think so. Oh, is that him?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember, because yes, we k- we but only always... kept calling him Jurgen. We <laughs> but... couldn't remember his character's name.
0: <laughs> but I keep for I keep like I get him crossed with the French guy who's in Wing Commander. Okay. Yeah. That's why I was like, he's not because I know it's the other guy. But you're right; he's in it too. Yeah, we did. We kept calling him American. That's funny. Go back and listen to the Wing Commander episode. That one's a pretty funny one. Um, yeah. There's just a lot happening. They had a lot to convey. They had a lot to do. This, of all of the adaptations, this is my favorite still suit.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah, the one in the work Visually
1: Visually, work- like when I'm reading the books and I'm like when when I get – really into a book it plays like a movie in my head and if I haven't seen like a film adaptation the faces are kind of vague but then if I have seen a film adaptation it plop fills in the gaps yeah and so when I'm seeing certain characters like Gurney Halleck is always Patrick Stewart in my head (laughs) yeah and Leto uh is Duke Leto is always Jurgen now. now and let's see. A, a lot of the visuals are very, very much from the nineteen eighty four Dune movie. Yeah, Be- probably because it was it was a it's, formative, it's formative movie yeah, for I was me. Gonna say
0: it's the first one you watched,
1: and and it's it's the only one I had watched bef- Like when I had read the books. Gotcha.
0: Um, I remember this being on and dad was like, oh, you'll like this. And I watched it. So this was the first one I watched. But when I see it, it's usually the 2000 miniseries, but not the 2000 miniseries. When I think of Paul,
1: I think of Paul from the sci-fi miniseries.
0: Yeah, because Kyle McLaughlin. as much as I love him, I don't know. Again, the chin length dude haircut never works for okay i'm not going to say it never works for anyone that's a huge generalization i'm sure there's someone out there for whom this is a stellar haircut and you know what i didn't hate it on who's the young guy who plays dune who plays paul in the newest newest timothy dune. chalamet timothy chalamet okay i don't hate it on timothy chalamet i think because timothy chalamet looks young and so yes. the the chin length shaggy haircut I'm okay he with He looks it. like a teenager. He looks like a teenager. Kyle, Kyle McLaughlin look didn't like look teenager. like a teenager when he was a teenager. And now you're trying to sell that this this man is 15 years old by giving him a boy haircut. It's not you know what I wanted? I want a haircut change when we move to like the two years later. Right. I think that would have been a good delineation, and it also would have aged him up slightly. And he always looks really well washed, like he. Al- this his hair is never greasy. His hair is always quaffed, and it's always parted and like slicked back from his face in just the right way. And I think after a while, I'm just like, I don't believe this hair. This hair is lying, right. to me.
1: especially with how they describe the Fremen lifestyle yeah. in the books. Then you see these characters in the movie where oh. They're living, living in the Fremen Sieges for years and And the Sieges stink. And we cover they that look lots and lots clean and yeah. their hair's always done. No, no,
0: only Paul does. Because every time we see Stilgar, Stilgar looks like he just even, rolled around in the Even
1: dirt. Chinese hair.
0: Yeah. Well Chinese hair's yeah. usually pulled back.
1: Yeah. I mean, but it's like it looks clean and yeah. it's been freshly, you know, pulled back in a ponytail. And, yeah. Her face is almost always very clean. Right. Unless they're actually out in the dunes of Dune.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, You know, I don't know. I I think it's funny. I kind of agree with Jodorowsky that it's not the best adaptation, but if you just take it for what it is, it's not horrible. They were trying something extremely ambitious. Oh, yeah. It
1: it had to be experimental. The
0: fucking audacity, right, of trying to adapt this novel with the technology that they had for special effects at the time and for an audience that had not been tested with some really heavy sci-fi yet. So at this point we have foundation floating around. We have some pretty heavy sci-fi properties, the expanse. Wool just got adapted. So we know there is an audience for these really really hard sci-fi. But in the
1: 1980s, but in the 80s we're pretty not much there. all we'd had for epic sci-fi like mythological epic sci-fi was Star Wars. Yeah. And Star Wars is very like clean, you know, hyper technology. Uh, it's very palatable. Yes, yeah. For the audience. And then here's Dune, which right. is mo- a lot more gritty.
0: And it's a mashup of mysticism and technology. Right, It's a and lot more
1: psychological. Yeah.
0: Yes. Although this is when I see Gidey Prime. This is the Gidey Prime that I see. This is the Baron, which um, it's explained why he has that weird, why he's gross. Like he, right. why he has pustules and stuff. Pustules. <laughs> um In one of the prequel books, so it would be a Brian Herbert book, Mm -hmm. and I wonder, did Brian write that? Because did he retcon that? Did he retcon that? Because in Dune, the book, he's just large; he's a big dude.
1: Right, he's not not gross.
0: And this is um, because, well, that's kind of a spoiler, I guess, but um, it's because he, when he had relations with the Bene Gesserit woman, who got pregnant with Jessica. It was not uh, a consensual encounter, and so she poisoned him, and that's why he's gross like that. Mm, okay, and then I love Sting again—the audacity of just being like, "Who can we hire? Who can who can we cast? Um, let's get that Rackberg guy." You know, he wrote which uh, a again, couple of hit songs.
1: Here's here's probably an influence from Jodorowsky's Dune. Yeah, like. Oh, Jodorowsky says, I'm going like to get Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger yeah. right? I'm going to get the rock star, yeah. literally, to be uh, Fade Rotha.
0: Let's do that. Except this time, let's make it stink. Right.
1: We're, we're going to get a literal rock star from the, our you know, contemporary.
0: Right. And my favorite filming story, like trivia story, is that the scene where he comes out of the steam, he was going to be naked. Sting had agreed to be naked. He, everyone was all set for some full frontal nudity for this scene, and then they got scared. The ratings board or the like, the mm-hmm. producers got scared, and so they literally hot glued some shit together and taped it up on him on the, set. The
1: wing underwear,
0: yeah, the wing g-string thing that he's wearing. <laughs> um, they just they they, they that shit and just slapped it on him because they were like, oh, we gotta, we can't, we can't." We gotta, we gotta cover Ma- you up. It would man. make
1: it a little too edgy,
0: right? And yeah. so that's why he's wearing the weird, winged, g-string thing. <laughs> uh, I don't know why they chose the character, like the outfit design that they did for, for the Harkonnens. The weird suit that they're yeah. all wearing. Um, I think it's just to make them thematically all the same, maybe. Mm-hmm. But also, it just looks wildly uncomfortable. Like um, the one that. Raban is wearing. This poor actor looks like he would really rather just be wearing nothing because it looks so hot. I it looks like imagine the, that breathed
1: like a sauna suit. Yeah, where it, you're literally not. It's supposed to make you sweat as much as possible. Yeah, that's the fabric that it looks like.
0: That's exactly what it looks like, and the so they get two for how it, just like they do in the book. And we have the, they all have the red stained lips, you know, that's what, pi- pi- they make up that rhyme for Piter.
1: The Which, I mean, jeez, I I was paying attention in the book, like, where, where is this, you know, rhyme? Like, where did it come? Maybe it comes from a later book, whatever. But no, they just.
0: Well, maybe it just, comes from a later the book. The juice
1: of Sefu. Yeah.
0: By the juice of Sefu, the thoughts acquire speed, the lips acquire stains, the stains become a warning. It is by will will alone I set my mind in motion. Yeah. Um. I can't believe I just got to say. <laughs> Yeah. So they make that up. I think that's interesting. But then of course Pider gets killed and then we get twofer. And I think they talk about how they give him a heart plug, which they invented. Again, An- yeah, yet
1: another thing they added.
0: But the cat. The fucking cat. The... <laughs>
1: that they have, he has to milk yes, the cat for the antidote. Yes, you have to take antidote. care of
0: this little cat to her because it contains the antidote for the poison we've fed you. <laughs> no! you know, this poor cat looks <laughs> like, what am I doing? You know that? And it's a sphinx. It's a hairless cat. And so they had to buy this cat. This cat didn't come from the... I don't know. I don't know. This is so pre... Um, we have someone on the set making sure animals are not being harmed. That... I... It's hard. There's a, quite a few of those movies where I'm like, oh, I don't know that that cat was okay at the end of the day. Like Milo and Otis,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you love that movie until you find out how many animals died in the filming of that movie, and right. then you're like, oh shit, it's not cute anymore. How can I? How can I enjoy this cute story about a dog and a cat knowing that this, like many many cats, died to obtain this <laughs> to <laughs> footage. this footage. <laughs> so, um yeah I just some choices were made that make sense, and some choices were made that really just I don't understand. I do like the fremen like echo chamber when he's giving the speech, and it's just like a long carved tunnel of stone,
1: oh yeah, yeah, like the assembly room
0: yeah, I would cut out the orgy though,
1: yeah that's always a a loss. They, we do not cut
0: the orgy out in the sci-fi miniseries. No, no, we don't. And then Jessica disappears after she takes the water of life,
1: physically and metaphorically, and narratively. She's
0: just just gone, just gone. And we don't. He doesn't have a son that gets killed, and he makes it rain, which I guess Frank Herbert saw this, this adaptation. Yeah, and he said he liked lots of it. But the ending, he was like, no, the ending is shit because Paul's not supposed to be a god. Paul is supposed to be a man who believes he's a god. Right. So if he can actually make it rain, then
1: it defeats
0: defeats the purpose. Yeah.
1: a, A big part of this story is like cemented in the line. Like, no greater tragedy can befall your society than to be uh, beholden to a hero or... Yeah,
0: to have a hero. Yeah, to... Yeah, nothing harms a society as bad as having a hero. Like, having a hero show up. Yep. Yeah.
1: And so, this whole story, this whole, you know, multi-book narrative is a criticism of this, you know the savior that comes from outside and then assumes a leadership position and yeah. then tells you what to do you the society loses all its agency
0: yeah beware prophets fulfilling prophecy right and yes. so
1: for frank herbert to see this adaptation he's like yes here is my you know wedge in the the whole like External savior narrative. I, this is supposed to be a knife that cuts through that societal mythological bullshit, and then for them to say, "Oh yeah, he's actually like got superpowers." Yeah, he's
0: actually got like divine powers. So <laughs>
1: he's like that. It, you know, undermines it, it really the did. entire yeah. story.
0: And I mean, maybe if because they're not planning a sequel. I don't know if they planned a sequel or not, but. If you had then gone from there to Dune Messiah, you couldn't adapt Dune Messiah because, well, we haven't talked about Dune Messiah yet, but it's a lot of undoing what was done. And it's hard to undo. This dude can actually summon water from the atmosphere. right? Yeah. I mean, continuing the conversation about the fact that we confirm he's God at the end is what you do when you do that is you completely invalidate one of the main themes of the novel, which is. The subversion of the white savior trope. So when we make him actually God, when we make him actually capable of all these things, it's like, here's a movie about how a 15 year old white dude can organize and liberate a planet in a way that millions of Fremen have never been able to do on their own. Which is the opposite of what Frank Herbert was trying to talk about. He was trying to say, oh, on the surface, maybe, but this is actually villainous behavior because did he free them or did he expand the way in which they were enslaved? Did
1: he just deepen uh, the hold that their entire mythology has on them? Yeah. And that's supposed to be kind of implied- It's, like, carried very heavily in the novel. Yeah. He's – Paul is constantly preoccupied by the fact that this new jihad is coming. Yeah. It's inevitable. He's doing everything he can to avoid avoid it or at least, like, reduce – Yeah, Yeah. mitigate the fallout. And – And so he's kind of like, what do I do? What do I do? And then once he figures out what to do, he's like, okay, this is the path to minimal damage. Yeah. I become the emperor.
0: He's always taking the path of least destruction. Right. But never, he can never avoid it. And we don't, I mean, we can't, it's hard to talk about that in this medium. But we, there were ways we could have worked it in, which we definitely didn't try to do. Also... Remember when we watched Legend and we watched both versions, the director's cut that had an actual score and then the theatrical cut oh, that yes. had Tangerine Dream as the music? Yes. So you know who does the music for 1984's Dune?
1: I I did know it like a week ago.
0: Toto. I Bless yeah. the Rains Down in Africa. Yeah. Toto.
1: <laughs> Toto does the music for this.
0: I want to know who was reading this novel and was like jamming out to some da, da 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 And then they were like, Oh my god, that would be a great prophecy theme. I should call Toto. Actually, prophecy theme is the only one they didn't do. They did do all the other music. So I wanna watch both versions. I want to see Paul Muad'Dib ride a worm to some great orchestral music. Like
1: Hans Zimmer. Yeah, like or... Hans Zimmer
0: style shit. And yeah. then I want to watch him ride a worm to an electric guitar sting. And I want to do both. I want the strength to do both. Okay. <laughs> and we have only got one version. So I'm going to put this out into the universe. We need a legend style treatment here where we have an actual theatrical score. And we, then we, we have a photo score. Yeah, we need a fan. edit With an edit. alternative soundtrack. Yes. Like yeah. when we watch Lady Hawk, which we're eventually going to do for Strange and Beautiful Book Club. I want someone to take that synthesizer music and make it like orchestrated.
1: Orchestral, yeah. Yeah,
0: I want to see the orchestral version of that movie because I think it would have aged a lot better. I think we would have a bigger conversation about how epic Ladyhawk is if it wasn't just some straight synthesizer stuff playing in the background. I mean, it's of its time. It is. yeah. Yeah, this is around the same time as Highlander. Queen's doing the soundtrack for that one. This is around the same time as Legend. Tangerine Dream is doing that one. It's like that. There's that four or five year period in Disney where Phil Collins just did every song.
1: Yeah that, yeah, that was, Phil Collins was the voice of,
0: of Disney. Disney sound, yeah, he did. Disney music. Yeah, we didn't even get people singing. Like in Tarzan, nobody ever sings. We just have Phil Collins singing while we do stuff.
1: Which, to be fair, is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, come so. on.
0: It's Phil Collins, of course, yeah. fucking love it. <laughs> um, but I was thinking about that when we were watching it. Like, this is great. It's good. It kind of dates the movie. It dates the movie. And we like it because that's kind of our aesthetic.
1: We like it because that's the first thing we saw. Yeah. Right. The movies we imprinted, that we, we, we imprinted on this we movie style. We imprinted on this style <laughs> of movies. Yeah. Growing up, watching like yeah, you know, we really started like remembering the movies that we were seeing in like, probably starting in, like 1990. Yeah. And and this would have been like oh here's a recent movie that's really good and oh yeah it's you know a rock band <laughs> doing it, the entire soundtrack it
0: wasn't considered really good at well, the time it was a, it bombed
1: um i think a family member of mine liked this movie oh i'm sure and so we watched it this is one of those so, movies that
0: got a big second life yes yes as soon as it came out where you could watch it at home.
1: The big nerds yeah. would be like, oh, I really like this. But the people who just go to the movies for an entertaining movie would be like, oh, it's a little like over the top. Well, you're you dropping
0: this in the era of the hour and a half movie. Right. Which I miss sometimes. But the, I'm going to go, I'm going to watch a movie that is twice the length of one of my regular television shows. And then I'm going to go home. And you go to this, and I think even the theatrical cut is over two hours. That's yeah, a big ask. it's just ask. over two hours, That's yeah. a big ask when you're not used to movies that long.
1: Right, the audience hasn't been conditioned.
0: And when you do get movies that long, there's Schindler's List, they're Gandhi, they're these huge historical epics. They're not Dune, which is a huge historical epic about a history that never happened. It's a huge mythological story set in a world that does not exist. And that's a, that's challenging. That is challenging, especially for a audience that isn't there yet. I mean, the last time we had that was 2001 A Space Odyssey, really. Because 2001 A Space Odyssey is long. And it kind of reminds me of, if you ever listen to early, like, so the Moog, the Moog synthesizer is invented. In like the seventies, and then we get this wave of synthesizer bands putting out music, but they're all very like whoa, 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 just really
1: right. The, it's a new tool. Yeah. A lot of the the more I don't know progressive experimental bands yeah. say, hey, what can I do with this? And they just start doing a bunch of random things. Yeah, and then most of it is bad. Right, but then you get. You know, just like natural selection in biology, you get natural selection in you know media right. where everybody's experimenting, doing, trying out just really off the wall stuff. And then every once in a while, people will be listening to all of it and be like, oh, man, I, just, I can barely listen to this stuff. And that, ooh, that sounds really good. Yeah,
0: that one's cool.
1: Right. And then right. out of a thousand variations, there's like, oh, here's two ways you can use this thing that work really well. Okay. Now we're st- going to start branching off of those. Right. And so there's a lot of this stuff where it's like, hey, let's throw a, synthet- a synthesizer in here, but maybe we're going to use it like an existing instrument. Yeah. Or we're going to use it in a way that doesn't sound good. And. Now we're kind of stuck with it. Right. Yeah. Until we get the orchestral fan it,
0: Exactly. But I think this ends up being in the middle of the bloom of what can we do with this? Yeah. You know, we have some breakout sci-fi. Oh, okay. Maybe this is a medium. Maybe this is a thing. Like, maybe we can make this a thing. And so everyone's got to shoot in the dark because we don't know where the target is. And Star Wars hit the target. But I don't think in 1984, because this was being produced around the same time as like, Return of the Jedi is coming out. So you're probably already too far in the process to be able to
1: reel well, this back. And one of the reasons Star Wars was so successful is because they had Industrial Light and Magic, which I don't think it was called Industrial Light and Magic yet at that point. But it was this special effects team that had figured out some... Novel, new. They they were experimenting with special effects just like everyone else, except they hit on, yeah, a way to do they it. They really hit the well. target, right? Yeah. And oh,
0: they started in 1975. Industrial Light and Magic. Okay, so they started it's as by Industrial George Light. Lucas in 1975. Okay. Yeah,
1: I wasn't sure if it was called ILM to begin with. So, ILM. They were like, we we really like hit something here, guys. This is gonna be amazing. But they weren't sharing their secrets. They weren't sharing their process with other special effects groups. So all the other special effects groups are behind the curve, but they don't know how to reproduce how ILM is doing things. Right. So they're they have to do their own thing. Yeah. Which, by definition, since ILM had just jumped ahead in this uh how do you do special effects the other studios were just playing catch up and so even you know 7 years later ILM was probably keeping a lot of stuff really close to the chest until the trilogy was finished because they didn't want anybody else coming out with equivalent special effects while they were still making more star wars movies yeah And then by the time any information got out about.
0: I mean that proprietary stuff, but also just we're all still figuring this shit out. We're all still wandering around in the dark. And a couple of us have kind of found the goal, but not everyone's gotten to the goal yet. It's like early, early comic book movies. You make um, the duck one.
1: (laughs) Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck. Really? What
0: the actual shit. Like what the fuck was that movie? And okay, so that didn't work, right? And then we made Spawn. Then Spawn was okay. We made a big
1: I would thing. say in the same vein is who framed Roger Rabbit.
0: That is iconic. Right. Yes.
1: That they were everybody's experimenting right. with how do we do
0: how do we translate book this stuff yeah.
1: into a movie. Oh, well everybody else is like, okay, we're gonna have we're gonna make really good you know, costumes for live actors. We're going to throw in a giant, just over the top CG cape. And yes. then
0: <laughs> such a big deal was made about that cape.
1: And then you have Who Framed Roger Rabbit? We're literally going to just draw cartoons.
0: Yeah. And, and we're going to put a real life guy in it who ended up being nominated for an award. Right. Because how spot on he was. Because
1: it, it worked so well. Right. And like Cool World. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Cool World was like, who framed Roger, Roger Rabbit worked really well. Let's do that again, like technology-wise, style-wise. Yeah. With a different story.
0: Right. Yeah. Yep. Very much so. And then we kind of hit our stride at Blade. Blade's considered the savior of the comic book movie. Right. Because we make Blade the first Blade movie, and it's like... Oh, we can do this. We can make this work. Yeah. How do we recreate that? And we don't really recreate that until we get Iron Man. And then right. Iron Man and is a like. a lot of
1: that <gasps> is because, like, a we've lot got of the it. reason Blade worked so well is a lot of it was just the like the tone, yeah, the atmosphere of the movie, but also they like minimized the special effects.
0: Yeah, there's some. There's there's a little bit, but not. Yeah, not in the way. Yes. And then we get Iron Man. And now we've been we've been running on the same treadmill for so long. Everyone's tired and they want to hop off. So we're ready for our next. Okay, where are we going now? I think that's why I think that's why it feels like movies are miss 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 right now is we're just ready. We're yeah. ready. Um, we like periods of experimentation. That's when we get cool movies like this, like Dune, where people are like, let's grab Dune. Let's take this tome off the shelf and see what we can fucking do with it. I think we can probably make this work. And I think if you asked David Lynch, he would say, no, we did not make this work. But as a fan of Dune, it's not horrible. It's not horrible. If you move right. past some of the special effects, you move past some of the acting um, it's okay uh, for what they had to work with, for the material they had to work with. they they were trying to convey, there's a lot. I mean, how-
1: right. It, yeah. Like in it's... a
0: single movie, how do you ta- like, even now the newest Dune adaptations are series. No one's right. trying to tackle this in a single movie again.
1: And the book, most of it is like not action it's dialogues
0: yes there's very very little action
1: and but the films uh action works really well action sells well
0: yeah action sells
1: and so how do you make this movie where you're telling the story but not have a lot of actiony stuff happening yeah and so i think that's why we get a big info dump so that we we can skip a lot of the y, like dialog heavy scenes dialog
0: exposition scenes because
1: yeah. we did all that up front
0: i mean this movie's necessary this movie gets us to dune 2000 yes it's a necessary step in
1: the path yeah it's like i worked at a startup right out of school yeah was it the best no it was
0: we it learned was a lot, challenging
1: though. uh place to work yeah it like just lifestyle wise it was a startup we had to buy our own health insurance because we, the company shit. had, like, less yeah. than 10 employees, whatever. And I learned a lot. I grew a lot. And I learned, like, how to say no a little better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, was it wasn't useful, great, but it was but necessary. Was. But, yeah, it was a necessary step in the path right, for me to get here. Dune was a necess- – Dune 1984 movie was a necessary step – kind of in in the whole development of the genre.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And if Kyle McLaughlin hadn't been in this, he wouldn't have been in Twin Peaks. He wouldn't have been in Flintstones.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Which
0: is what I always uh-huh. remember him from. I'm like, oh, the guy from Flintstones? Uh-huh. <laughs> like Halle Berry. Halle Berry is in that too.
1: She's, oh, yes. She <laughs> is the in Flintstones. She's yep. Yeah.
0: Yep. And Rick Moranis. We should do <laughs>
1: Oh, do Flintstones for the podcast? No.
0: <laughs> you want to talk about throwaway 90s movies? That's a good one. I need a Bird. It just yells at me every yeah. time I try to do something. Like a bullshit radar for me. <laughs> that would be really good. All right, we segued into sit down. I was <laughs> like, how do I get back from Flintstones? Because I was just like, a <laughs> Bird. I mean I think this is a good place to wrap but there's I mean everything that people want to say about this movie has been said. It's not perfect. Yeah. It's okay. It's a necessary step. I think it's fine. I enjoy it. I like Patrick's tour in this. It is
1: rewatchable. It
0: is rewatchable. Yeah. If, you know, when that was our scale, I would say it was be, it would be. Yeah, I have rewatched it plenty. Plenty. Yeah.
1: And that that is a a valuable metric.
0: And I feel like they created a consistent Um, aesthetic like Mm -hmm. the Fremen have a consistent aesthetic I think the um, Harkonnens have a consistent aesthetic, the Shaddam IV and all of his entourage, even his spaceship everything has a very consistent in in the way that Jodorowsky wanted everyone to have their own theme, even their own music producer we kind of carried that over in that every single family has a style Right. And even when Paul stops being Paul Atreides and becomes Paul Muad'Dib, he changes his style to be more fremen, including Lady Jessica, who Matt was like, "Is that supposed to be Jessica at the very end?" Because right, I
1: couldn't tell if it was the same actress, even right. And, And but that's one of the like every once in a while, like when Paul's talking in the the big like auditorium, yeah. Um. She's in the background, like in her Reverend Mother outfit. Otherwise,
0: disappears. Yeah,
1: but she doesn't interact with anybody. She doesn't talk. She doesn't. And there's like Reverend Mothers
0: lined up along the top. Did you notice that? But they're all like
1: right. And I think that's supposed to be like because later. Actually, I don't. I don't think they have. Do they don't have a gathering of all the seaches in Dune the book?
0: Yeah, they do. They do when she takes the water of life, or later they do. They no, get. That, that's they just... don't gather all the people. They just gather all the leaders, the naives. Yeah, they gather the naives.
1: Oh, uh, and isn't that where uh, Alia got captured from? That gathering.
0: Mm-mm. No, she just gets captured from, from they, siege taper. That no, they have that southern siege, like the really far away siege that they go to to hide.
1: The one that's twenty. Worm yeah, 20 thumper. Rides it's away. a 20
0: thumper ride. Yeah, he'll be like, gather oh, th- the naives we must discuss.
1: Oh, I th- I thought Ali was closer to Arakeen.
0: No, that's why it's only women and oh, women, children right. and old people. Because they've sent away the weakest to go. They, to protect them. To protect
1: them. Yeah. yeah.
0: The quote weakest.
1: Right, right. The yeah. weakest of the Fremen the weakest can still take the out yes. Sardaukar.
0: Yeah, weakness being a relative term here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. gather the naibs. When they gather the siege, that's when they have the orgy because right. they're all connected already right. that, anyway.
1: They gather the siege together. Um, Jessica converts the water of life. They have the orgy with the converted water of life. In the book. In the book. Yeah. Because yeah. we don't even discuss here, that it's like right.
0: that she's changing it. She just takes it and survives it.
1: Yeah, Although we don't. Why
0: we chose to do the when he's going to take the water of life? We're going to take him out into the middle of the desert and tie him up. Mm-hmm. It was only so that we could have the worms show up. Right? We, yeah, I think that's why. Yeah,
1: yeah. The the whole angle of he can he can talk to the worms. Yeah, he can was, summon
0: the worms.
1: Was in the same vein as oh, he can just make it rain. <laughs> exactly. Um, maybe not.
0: Maybe not. I don't know. He has power over the, the natural planet. world, apparently. I don't know. Uh, it's an interesting choice. They had to do it. I mean, they had to make him larger than life because it, otherwise it is just like a straight white right. right savior narrative.
1: In the, yeah, the, the I guess the story that they were telling yeah. as interpreted from Dune, the book.
0: As interpreted from, yeah. As adjacent to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was in the room while they wrote the script. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah that one. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> the the seltzer water of Dune. Yeah. <laughs> they they wave the book over yes, the, the movie. Yes, the seltzer
0: water of Dune. Yeah, the the mildly flavored seltzer water called Dune. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite one about Lacroix water. Is it? It's the soda of a dystopian future. Right. Yeah. Ah, huh. it's accurate then. I like the ungainly vessel that they keep the water of life in that's like they have All to right. tip it so far to be able to use it
1: like the decanter or whatever Yeah, the weird little decanter. Yeah, it's like huge. Yeah, uh, really awkward to carry.
0: Although one would argue that the Fremen should have tons of glass objects because they live sand. they live in sand. So glass should be their main material.
1: But then in the book they make a lot of plastic stuff literally out of spice. Yeah. It's probably like when they refine the spice, they get a bunch of byproducts. Yeah. And those byproducts can be used to
0: make other stuff.
1: Make synthetic things, yeah. like plastic.
0: It's interesting that he included that cuz plastic was really in its like infancy in the 60s. Right.
1: And I think that's one of the reasons the technology of the Fremen like is still kind of sticky. Yeah in the reader's head is because that was like almost prophetic
0: well plastic was like the new hot thing it was like si- that was science it wasn't ubiquitous right it was like a oh my god plastic that's like a a luxury material when he was writing tupperware the book. tupperware exactly <laughs> 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 you had to go to special parties to get it and stuff yeah it wasn't I'm, just. I
1: wonder if uh, Spiceware is a big thing in the Dune universe. That would
0: be really funny to have like a Shaun of the Dead version of Dune, but it's like a Fremen who is in a third like a what do they call them? a multi level marketing scheme where they're, <laughs> they're selling spice products. Yes. Yeah.
1: One one of the uh, one of the people that like live the like ex Fremen that lives in the city. Yeah. That would be an amazing like offshoot series, spin-off series. Yeah. To have <laughs> like here's here's one of the like cities on Arrakis and here's just the bystander, the sitcom of Yeah. <laughs> the just planet to, Dune. <laughs>
0: yeah, there's one guy just fresh out of the desert. And then one person who's lived in the city their whole life. And one person who like came the, from the desert, but has been in the city for years. Yeah, like,
1: like they couldn't, uh, uh, they weren't up to par, like living out in the deep desert yeah. in the sieges. And they're yes. like, I just, I just couldn't handle it, man. Right. And the, like, the fr- <laughs> like all the deadbeats, yeah. like have a room, to, like a, <laughs> <Yeah. And laughs> an the apartment fre- together. The fresh
0: out of the desert guys constantly like, I invoke, I'm tall. No, dude, dude, we don't don't do that here like you can't just knife everybody that bumps into you <laughs> on the street <laughs> he's like yes i can <laughs> i claim his water yeah no, dude no dude no he stop. doesn't
1: he doesn't have water we
0: can just turn the tap on that's not a thing here it's fine. <laughs> what magic is this somebody leaves the water running for the cat and he's like or, we've grown water fat <laughs> or
1: they're they're like real fremen like Aunt comes to visit them for their birthday or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think uh, I think we got some.
0: Yeah, won't take off the still suit, and they're trying request. to get her. They're trying to get her to bathe the entire time she's there. Don't you want to take? Do you want to? Do you want to wash? Do you want to? Do Do you want to get clean? Yeah. You, you You got kind of a smell. This is the smell of home. <laughs> this is the smell of the desert. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is how. How it is known that I am a true follower of the way. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That'd
1: be really funny.
0: Yeah, like Lower Decks. Isn't that the one where it's like Star Trek, but it's the people that...
1: Yeah, it's like the sitcom of Star Trek. Like the
0: sitcom of Star Trek. That's exactly what it needs. All right. Well, I think this feels like a really good place to wrap <laughs> it up. After this, we'll be talking about the sci-fi mini-series adaptation of Dune.
1: Are we going to do the books first? Oh, I, okay. The sci-fi miniseries of dune Dune the book
0: dune the book yes okay because we're eventually going to be reading dune messiah and dune heretic
1: uh children children of dune i keep i always mix up dune messiah and heretics of dune yeah and i always want to call it the second book in the series is dune heretic no no it's not
0: dune messiah and children of dune because those those three books in particular have screen adaptations
1: so that's
0: why we're focusing on them in particular so we're gonna do that and if If they're talking about delaying the second part of Dune. So if they delay the second part of Dune, we'll add the last three books in the series. I think that's fair.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good idea. And then we'll
0: do the entire canonical six.
1: Yes. Yeah. So the the plan for this deep dive, we're...
0: Now that we're five episodes into it.
1: Now that we're five episodes into it. (laughs) uh, I'll just real quick outline it. We're planning to... Release the these episodes on a cadence that we will finish all of our episodes right before Denis Villeneuve's Dune Part Two comes out. Unless they keep moving the target, unless they keep moving the target,
0: but it's fine. This Uh, is it'll be
1: good. The plan for what we're gonna cover is we did Dune the book, yeah. Jodorovsky's Dune. Yes. Which somebody at work told me about it. And after we watched it, I messaged him. I was like, I just want to say thank you for thank you. introducing me to Jodorovsky.
0: I feel like Jodorovsky is the the movie filmmaker that we we would really that we like. Yeah. That's the that's the approach we like. What what is this paper? What is this? It's meaningless. Where he pulls out the, the money and he's yeah. like, is this why I'm doing this? This meaningless scraps of paper? Puff. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay, so Dune the book, Jodorowsky's Dune, Dune the movie. Yeah. And then we're going to do the sci fi miniseries adaptation of Dune the book. Yes. And then we're going to cover Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. Yeah. And then we're going to cover the sci fi miniseries Children of Dune, which is a combination of Dune Messiah and Children of Dune Uh story. And.
0: Go
1: ahead. And then that would be the end of our Dune deep dive. I guess we Oh, I guess we'll, we're going to do an episode on Dennyville news One. Dune part 1. Yes. Right. And so and that's our plan for the, the time,
0: deep dive. We'll throw in the rest of the canonical six, of the, the final 3. Yeah. Yeah. If we if they move the target and we've got time. If not maybe we'll add them later. I'm not sure, but right now the plan is only the first 3 books because those are the ones that have screen adaptations. Right.
1: And then Denis Villeneuve announced that he wants to do one more.
0: Yes. So we can add that on too.
1: Yeah. I wonder if he'll it's do. It's our
0: podcast network. We do what we want.
1: And then when we do Dune Part 2 and, and the other books and maybe Dune Part, Part 3, three. Um, uh, you'll get notified when those episodes come out. And we'll post that on the Instagram too.
0: Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Until next time, friends.
1: Bye. Bye.